Welcome to episode 278. Is your church having a failure to launch? How do you get momentum on leading change? Five practical steps to actually make change happen. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 278 of The Reclaim Leader. I'm Jason Tucker, back again with Jesse Skippington. How's it going, Jesse? I'm doing great, Jason. Just, I love talking shop, man. We, we got a little preachy at each other before we hit record. Like, I love it. <laughs> a little bit. We had a lot of feelings. <laughs> we, a lot of things to I say. I love it, man. We're talking shop and thinking about best practices. And, uh, and there's this urgency, I think, you and I both feel about our own churches and our own leadership and wanting to do the things that will... Uh, help people get to know the love of Jesus in their lives. And then we see sometimes other leaders or other churches struggling with some of the same things we're struggling with or different issues. And we just want to kind of say, hey, we got this. Let's go. Let, we know we know what to do. We just need to, to take the steps to then do it. And sometimes we need to be reminded, though, that we actually have what it takes and have the training and probably have the expertise and the right people to lead some change. But you got to move. You can't just stay where you are. You can't just talk about it. So we're, we're going down that lane again today. Yeah, yeah. And this is really the beating heart of the podcast. So this is an area that we cover quite a bit because it is critically important as we are leading congregations. And of course, being a pastor is about uh, being a shepherd. It's about being a listener. It's about uh, caring for people, but it's also about leading. And leading is the piece that somehow got left out of my seminary education. So I feel like this is the area that we all kind of constantly need a little support in as pastors uh, to help us accomplish what, in the end, God wants to see happen for our churches. Leadership is such a spiritual issue that I think often gets relegated to, oh, that's a secular thing, even more than a spiritual thing. I think sometimes, unfortunately, in denominational churches, there has been a uh, an ethos or like a, a culture in which pastor as leader is frowned upon. Yeah. You're here to to care for us and tell us about Jesus and, and and read scripture and lead a worship service, but you're not here to set vision and lead us somewhere. And so I do think sometimes uh, a pastor that maybe has some leadership desire or characteristics or something will go into a setting and the church will say something like, no, our job is to do those things. Your job is just to, to read the Bible and, and do the Bible studies and care for us when we're sick and things. And so I wonder sometimes if it's kind of like a whole leadership conversation for pastors. Is that the role that this church is going to allow you to play? And then if it is, what we're going to talk about today, I think, is crucially important to just getting some traction and moving some things forward. But I don't know. Do you bump into that? Are congregations resistant to pastors as leaders? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, actually, it's not the congregation as much as it's the pastor themselves. And it's ah. usually because they've seen bad leadership. Yeah. And they don't want to be that guy. They don't right. want to be that woman. They don't want to be that person that they've seen get it wrong or gross examples of leadership that you know, show up in the news or that we see from afar. We don't want to be like that. So there's almost this allergic reaction to talk about (laughs) leadership. Like, what do you mean, Jim Collins? Good to great. That's no. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, somehow getting this mentality of healthy servant hearted leadership is a good thing. Yeah. Whether it's from the, the, the congregational side or from the pastor just stepping into that role and saying, 
I am going to choose to see myself as a leader in this role and then act that way. Um, I think both of those things are a healthy part of the conversation that then can lead to some of these things like we're going to talk about today. Well, and it's important to remember this. Leader does not mean expert. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of people get hung up. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you have a failure to launch. And whatever initiative you want to do, hey, you want to try to do this thing to reach more people. Yeah, but I'm not an expert. I don't know if this is the right decision. You know, there are ways to work on that, but that is never the case. The leader does not have to be the expert. In fact, in some ways, it's better if you're not the expert. If you just go in with a sense of curiosity and ask a bunch of questions, that's good too. Because you're just, you're, what a leader does is get down into the trenches with people and say, where are we going together? And then help yeah. facilitate the conversations and the ideas and, and help steer things as you go. And I, I think that's a healthy picture of ad- adaptive leadership. When, when we're talking about how to be, how do we gr- take a group of people from one place to another? Uh, it's not just because we know the way. Um, we know the way to help a people, a group of people move together. So that's a little bit of what we're talking about. Some tactical. It, it is. It is. Okay. So today is if you're having a failure to launch or you're trying to get momentum on leading change, here are, and this sounds like totally like a salesy leadership podcast, but it doesn't make it mean it's not true. Five practical steps to actually make change happen. Not to just talk about change to actually make it happen. And I think you'll find they're not as complicated as you might think. Right. Basically what I would love to do is to like hijack Elvis Presley's song and turn it for good. A little less conversation, a little more action, right? (laughs) (laughs) That should be, we just got to somehow change the words. Yeah. We've got to adapt that one a little bit. I'm sure we can find a way. Because we are so good at talking things into the ground at church. Right. And we'll analyze, analyze, analyze because we're a little bit too nervous to actually initiate the change. So right. here are some five, just five steps. The first one is you got to get clear on what's your big idea. Yeah. What's your big idea? If you're not clear on what you're trying to accomplish, you're doomed. <laughs> you're doomed before you start. You want to get great clarity on what the actual vision is. Why are we doing this thing? What are we going to do? Who is it for? Who are we trying to reach? Get crystal clear on the vision, on the idea, and everything else is going to fall into place. But you know, Jesse, what happens sometimes is people are like, well, we want, actually, I was just talking with a church about this. We want to renovate this parish house that we have and because it's historic. Yeah. And we think, oh, wow, you know, we could use it for all sorts of different things. We don't know what the use is going to be. We just know that we want to spend X million of dollars to restore it. So it's preserving this historic building without knowing the why, without knowing what it's going to be used for. And then, I mean, can you see what are any problems that could come with that? Like, <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, my my checkbook would probably stay in my pocket. Well, that's just it, right? Uh, Who's going to get to that campaign? Tell me a little more about that because, you know, if we're going to invest that much money in this space, what's it going to be for? What's the mission-oriented purpose for that other than just we want to have that building not fall down? Um, Right. And then how are you going to sell that to a congregation? And Mm -hmm. I say sell it. I know that sounds crass. How are you going to get buy-in for your vision really is what we're talking about. A good word is like mobilize. How are you going to get people mobilized and excited and on board with? And 
good salesmanship in, in, a, in a healthy sense is part of that. Like, here's our idea. We're so excited. Here's the five reasons why we think it's the right idea for us right now. Yeah. And you get clear about what it is you're trying to do, who it's for, what the outcomes could be. Here's some unforeseen consequences that we think, well, if, if we don't do it, it could lead in that direction. If we do do it, we might have this happen. So we've thought it through, like getting clear by doing your due diligence, but then also uh, you got to think think through to some possibilities and take people that direction with their imaginations and what could be. So even yeah. if they're not 100% clear on who's going to use the building and for what, drum up some ideas about what might happen, what could yeah. happen, what God might do. And wouldn't that be exciting if, you know, that kind of thinking. Uh, one way that you could do it is have your team and and do do this with a team. Don't do it by yourself. You want to bring as many people on the ground floor, if you will, on the idea. Right. Because also, if we do believe in discernment of the spirit as the body of Christ, then it, that means the body is not just you. So right. you've got to bring in some leadership to in the discerning process but once you get your team together, write in three sentences, what is the big idea? What is the challenge that we're trying to overcome? Why, who, what? Yeah. And that's going to help give you clarity on the rest of the process. Right. The idea is if you've ever done a capital campaign, there's two phases, usually a quiet phase and a loud phase. The idea of the quiet phase is you reach out to uh, to people who are a core part of your church or maybe based on giving, you would invite them into a smaller gathering where you're drumming up excitement and you know talking about the campaign. And the idea is you would love for them to pledge. You want to get anywhere from 40 to 60% of your campaign done before it even goes live to the congregation so that when right. you do, it's is this exciting and all this has already come in and we only have this much more to go. Will you jump in on this vision with us? I think it's a similar thing here. When it comes to leading change, you want to get like 40% of the people committed before you even roll it out. Mm -hmm. And that takes you as a leadership team being on the same page, making sure that you know exactly what this is for, who is going to for, and an idea of what the cost is going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. So getting the big idea, getting clear around um, what that is, and so that you can quickly and easily and your leadership team can have some easy talking points or not, maybe they're not easy, but they're clear talking points. Clear. What we're trying to do and why. And yeah. uh, people love it. People love vision. Even people who are change resistant, you can sense uh, entrenchment giving way when there's a clear vision. Um, it just, I don't know how else to say it. It, it works when you have a, a clarity around your big idea. Yeah. So what's the big idea? So let's say, for example, let's just uh, let's do a sample one as we go. So big idea. We we have VBS every year. We want to have an opportunity to follow up with our VBS families in a way that engages them. I can't think of something that more churches have talked about and not executed. <laughs> right. Because everyone's exhausted by the time VBS is over. Um, but think about what's an event or program we could do to help engage. So why? Well, because we feel like it's a great outreach opportunity for people who don't know Jesus, who are just setting their dipping their toe in the waters of the Christian faith, that they would want to come and engage and grow in their relationship with Jesus here at our church. Who are we trying to reach? Specifically, the parents of the kids who are on the rolls. We have their contact information. Like it's not a mystery. And then what do we want to do? And that's where you have to kind of discern. Well, what do you think is the right kind of event for us? Maybe um 
it's just a fun thing. Let's get a food truck. You know me. I always want the food truck there. It makes it a thing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, get, a, get a couple of bounce houses. Maybe it's a, a thing like that. Or maybe it's some sort of follow-up series. Or maybe it's a special you know, evening program along with youth group or a VBS version of youth group. Who knows what it is? But the idea is if you know why and who, then you just come up with the what. That's your big idea. Then you go on to the next phase, which is make it a thing. Next yeah. step, make it a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we use that language a lot around here, which is not clear about what that means, but it means <laughs> something to us. We mean give it a theme. Yeah. Attach a scriptural foundation to it. Make sure that what you're doing jives with the canon of scripture, right? I mean, like yeah. um make sure that that it, it has a spiritual foundation, not just a, a really cool, fun idea. Otherwise, what the heck are we doing? And then Get people excited about it and to learn about it through a sermon series. Make it a six to eight week focus in your church. And you can even build a small group or small group study around it that you could give to other Bible studies. So that the idea is that everybody in in the congregation is sharing a conversation about what you're going to end up doing with your VBS family. So it could be anything like helping the faith of the next generation or helping the next gen win or uh, why young families need, you know, all of our help, you know, I don't know, whatever it is for your sermon series idea, make it a thing, make it a thing. And you're building excitement and you're teaching. Cause remember in those stages of leading change by Dr. John Cotter, the first stage of the leader is to build a sense of urgency. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to do that than through a sermon series. You, you have all this time you've got, you know, six to eight weeks, maybe worth of sermons to develop the idea and get people engaged and excited and ready to go. So that halfway through the series, we say, you know what we've been thinking about is doing this yeah. for our VBS families. Will you help us? You're going to get more people than you need. That's right. And because now there's a, so what are we going to do about it? There's a really clear, the big idea is the, so what are we going to do about it? That comes out of the sermon series, right? So yeah. say you do four weeks or six week message series and it builds towards that. And during that series, you keep saying something like, we have this big idea that we're excited about that we think helps meet this this call from scripture or from that we're experiencing in our life together and we're excited to do this together so it's galvanizing it brings everybody on the same page or at least closer to it and and i think um this is a often miss or uh not misused or i would say underutilized tool using the sermon not in a manipulative way but to speak to your life together as a congregation and what you're working on it takes three minutes at the end of a sermon to say, what does this mean for us? Not for yeah. you individually, but for us as a community, we think it might mean, or maybe you have some ideas what it might mean, but what does it mean for our community to respond to God's word? And this is some something we're thinking about and excited about. So I would say on an ongoing basis, we should be casting vision for our community, our life together in community all the time, but a sermon series dedicated towards a big idea really does make it a thing. And having that strong thematic presence around it, I think galvanizes and energizes the whole community. There'll be a few grumpy people who will sit there with their arms folded because that's what they do. But I think most people will go, yeah, let's do this. It's fun to do something together. And I think especially maybe in smaller congregations, this works really well. When the whole community feels like they're pulling in the same direction, you can feel it. Absolutely. You can can sense it when people are moving in the same direction. So 
make it a thing. That's spot on, Jason. Absolutely. And even you could have fun with it. Get some swag. Get some T-shirts. Build excitement. We did that. We did a sermon series a few years back called We Can Do More Together. Mm-hmm. And it was all about uh, helping the next generation. And we had some things that we wanted to highlight, particularly just volunteering to commit to Sunday school. We wanted to move to a model where it was like week to week commitments to volunteer to, will you be a shepherd for this mm-hmm. class for this year, maybe beyond? And we had some training around that. We said, but we got t-shirts. That we could do more together. And we had all of our Sunday school volunteers wearing them and we offered them to the congregation. It, it helps to build excitement and make it a thing because mm-hmm. the challenges, of course, is that there's so much noise in people's lives, so many things that they're that people are trying to communicate to them that what you as a church are trying to communicate often gets lost in all of that. So by making it a thing, giving it a theme, talking about it for one, maybe two months, that drills at home, and so everybody literally is operating off the same page of music. Yeah, when uh, when you're ready to get this thing going. Yeah, and especially in our two to f- you know, if the average family is coming two times a month or something, you know, yeah, um, this guarantees also that you're gonna everybody's get gonna get to hear some part of the story that we're telling yeah. or related to this. So, and and one last thing on making it a thing is when you're preaching, make sure that you make it about relationships and stories of life transformation. Mm-hmm. This is true in anything we're doing as a church, especially if you're thinking about doing a capital campaign. You want to make sure that that you're telling what's actually happening in people's lives. It's not really compelling to see a laundry list of things you want to pay for. What is compelling is this is the life change we think is going to happen if we take a shot at this. And so maybe you want to get some of your youth group kids. Maybe you even have a couple of kids that they came to your church from VBS Maybe there's a way to to highlight them or to video them talking and show it in church about how God has made a difference in their life. Make it about people because that's in the end what this is about. And that's easy. I know it sounds weird, but it's just easy to lose that when yeah. you're thinking about all the 800 other Yeah, you're in the nuts and bolts land. Yeah. And so you understand the costs and the, what it's going to take to get there. But connecting a story to all of that, I think, is crucial because that's what that's what we're doing, what we're doing for. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so step one, what's the big idea? Step two, make it a thing. Step three, work the tree. Mm-hmm. Work it from lowest to highest. Yes. You could probably guess what that means. Low-hanging fruit to high-hanging fruit. Yeah. The idea of low-hanging fruit, of course, I mean, that's not new. It's been around for decades and been used in business and all sorts of things. But low-hanging fruit is just simply what's kind of the easiest stuff that you could do with little to no money and little to no time. Yep. Um, what's, what's sort of the easy targets that you see that will help you get to where you want to go. So maybe you're doing that event for your VBS families, but maybe you're thinking like, well, maybe there's some things we could do leading up to that event that might be kind of easy or, Hey, what we really need to do, if we're going to invite people in, we should probably put a coat of paint in our fellowship hall, or we should, um, move some of the furniture in there. that looks like it's in a storage locker. All right. How can we make the place inviting so that when they come, it looks like we were expecting to have guests? Mm-hmm. Right. That would be some low hanging fruit. Um, or maybe, hey, uh, maybe you're like, well, some of the kids, a lot of churches have preschools. And it's funny. What I've discovered is for most Presbyterian churches, those preschools are not really integrated in any way with with the church. Yeah. And 
say, well, some of our VBS families come from the preschool. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to, uh, for this next week, when the parents drop off, we're going to be outside with a coffee table with yep. some coffee and some bagels for them and, uh, and a little flyer about this event that we're going to do. Right? That's low-hanging fruit. That's not hard to pull off. You can do it. And then the higher fruit, like, well, we want to do some things to maybe change some of our spaces or we want to have a bigger sort of event. It's going to cost some money. You could work towards that. But, mm-hmm. you know, work the tree from lowest to highest. Yeah. And I think there's some some quick, not quick wins, but I would, cons- I would say that there's some ways to, to see success and to get that that thing done and think about it. I love your your idea of of having coffee for preschool families as they're dropping their kids off it just it's it's not a complicated thing to do and it communicates a tremendous amount to those parents about the way that they are valued or their kids are valued in the community of the church and so those things go so far yeah. When um, when we have like our opening day things with preschool and I go down and introduce myself to people and stand around with parents and awkwardly talk, it's it still it just it, it accomplishes a lot in, in an hour of activity. And so I think that's again, we ought to be looking out for those things that are not we overcomplicate it sometimes and we forget that there are some things that we can we can easily do that we're set up already to do probably. Yeah. It makes me think, you know, I wonder if there are other things. I'm just, as you were talking, I had this idea. It's probably not even legal, but it's, <laughs> I was thinking about kids going to school and what if the church, I mean, it couldn't be that big of a school, but what if the church paid everybody's hot lunch that day? Mm. I, I don't know. Like, what if, what if there are things that you could do that we just haven't even really thought of about how the church can jump in and just show like, we care about you and your kids. Mm-hmm. We just want to know we're here and we're here for you. I don't know. I just think stuff like that. Yeah. And some people might receive it the wrong way, but there are a lot of people who would say, man, I'm, that was nice. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think those are the kinds of thinking that take us from um, an inward focus to an outward focus anyway. And so yeah. sometimes the low hanging fruit we think of inside of the community already and uh, even like painting the room. Yeah, that is a good one, and we should do that. But that's kind of an inward-facing one. Some of the the low-hanging fruit is outside of our doors somewhere, yeah, uh, and isn't that far off. But we don't sometimes we don't think in those terms of how do we reach reach out to our community beyond. I, I love that, Jason. I think that's good stuff. So we're working the tree, working the tree, and then fruit. we're step making four. It we're going nuts. Is just step four, I guess, is more of a reminder than a step. Yeah. But I think it takes being intentional. And that is, don't wait for the perfect conditions or ideas. Yeah. If you're, if you're waiting for perfection before you launch, you're never going to launch. Yep. It's the same problem I have with writing sometimes. Is I'll be writing something, and whether it's a blog post or trying to write something longer, an article, I get started, I'm a paragraph in, I hate it. It's not the way that I want to say it. All right. And I'll go back and I'll do that paragraph like so many times until I get it just right. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to do this for the rest of the thing. It just takes too long and you get too discouraged and it slows you down. Don't wait for the perfect conditions. Chat GPT is for Jason, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) chat GPT. That's right. What was I thinking? Wow. No, I think this is spot on. And I think this is maybe um, I would think you're right to not say this is not necessarily a step. This is like a mentality that should run from the big idea all the way to the end. Like we're not going to wait for perfection. We're going to think it through. We're going to plan ahead. We're going to do our 
best, but we're not going to wait for this fully formed, perfect thing before we we act. And I think that's where leadership teams get so hung up and pastors and leaders get hung up is when we we over over bake it. We, it's and it's yeah. no longer there's no way to make it perfect anymore because it's been in the oven too long. Like just <laughs> right. get it out. Let's go. Let's let's give it a go. And I, I don't think that's saying be cavalier or unwise. No. You know, that's that's different. It's just acknowledging that you're probably never going to get to 90 percent uh, done. Like you're in the 70 to 80 percent feeling good about this. And now let's 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 launch it um, and see what happens. And I, I think that's a healthy mentality because it it says we're OK with the potential for failure. We're willing to risk some percentage of possibility that this isn't going to work. And we have to accept that risk if we're ever going to change anything and move forward. Yeah. Risk is part of the deal. And you might fall flat on your face. We, we are, um, at MarineView, we're doing this. Um, we asked ourselves at the beginning of the year, what are the needs of our community at the church and what are the needs of our surrounding community? And one of the ideas we came up with is parenting is hard. And we're all like, like shocker, right? Parenting is hard. It always has been. And so we built a parenting workshop that is com- this coming weekend. And we put a lot of time, effort, and energy into it, uh, built some, some really cool breakout sessions and have a, a keynote speaker coming. And we're like, is anybody going to show up? I mean, we've been doing marketing. We've been reaching out, right? And you're like, I, I don't know. We're, we're going to see. And the, the registrations are trickling in. But if we had waited until we knew with certainty that people were going to come, that this was going to pay off, that it was going to be a good idea. No, let's try it and see. Yeah. And let's go for it. And um, and if it works out, awesome. Good news. If it falls on its face, we'll have learned some more about how to do it better next time. So don't yeah. wait. You got to go. This, this is, you know, we're here to, to, to make things move forward for the sake of God's love and, and uh, his kingdom and all those things. So give us the urgency to not wait until the perfect whatever. There's no yeah. such thing. Yeah, I I just got back from a Presbytery of Arkansas gathering where yeah, a little was, shout out to, to yeah, Central that's right. and Northwest Arkansas. That's right, right man. Yeah. They um they they wonderful. You know, I'm learning a lot about Southern culture as well. So I didn't know about the pimento cheese sandwich. On, I didn't know man. that was a thing. Yeah, it is. Um, I I sadly did not try it, but uh. <laughs> I did see it there and I saw it in several places. It was at the airport. It was like, yeah. oh wow, this is actually a thing. Um anyway, but I did I did have some fried chicken, I'll tell you that much. So and and as my friend Carol would say, shout out to Carol, Nanner Puddin. Nanner Puddin. Yeah. Puddin. Well, listen, Fantastic. I've got my wife, some of you know, she's from Arkansas, Tennessee. So I got I the you know, I got some roots down there, Jason. <laughs> it's good. But but anyway, I had a chance. We're speaking with some pastors and elders about uh, leading change. And one of the elders in the room asked me, said, how did you know, I was telling the story of Tower Hill and when we made the big changes in our sanctuary and said, how do you know, how did you know it was the right move? Hmm. It was a great question. And I think this is exactly in this lane because I said, I don't know how we knew. We just kind of knew, like we had some data around it. We prayerfully discerned what our strategy was going to be. But in the end, did we know it was going to work? No. Mm-mm. But you just I mean, you just got to give it a shot. Just do it. Uh, Guy Kawasaki. I love the story of him who worked with Steve Jobs on developing the the Apple computer or the, the Macintosh. And uh, he said, just ship it. Yeah. Just ship it. 
<laughs> right? At some point, you just got to ship the product and you could come out with a patch. You could come out with 2.0, but it's it, you'll just analyze it to death. You'll never do it. Just yeah. ship it. You're not going to see the perfect conditions. You don't know if it's going to work. You just got to give it a risk. Yeah. And the funny thing is, in the process of risking, the, the your team, your church grows closer to Jesus, even if the thing you're doing doesn't work the way you want yeah, it to. It's a step it of faith. It worked a different man, way. Right? Step of faith. And I would say, you know, as part of that whole process, we're not saying do change for change sake. Like, remember, right. there is a big idea. There is an urgency around a concept that we think meets a real need or would help move the mission forward or whatever. And so it's related to a real, a real idea that we think could make a difference. And so uh, I like it. You just got to pull the trigger sometimes and go for it. Just got to do uh, it. You're going to learn a lot along the way. and it, and um, But it's a step of faith. Put it in those terms, I think is important. And then the last one, Jesse, that I know you and I always need to be intentional about. Yes. Celebrate it at the end. <laughs> That's right. Celebrate it with a party. Whatever that looks like for your church. Have fun. Cheer for all the things that happened and that you did. And... This again, I'm always, you know, we talk about this. All. I think we're both wired this way. It's like we just charge the hill. Like, where's yeah. the next hill? Yeah. yeah. And you just make sure that you spend some time, <laughs> celebrate, thank, appreciate the totally. moment. Yeah. Um, and you'll find that really as a church, you, it really bonds you in a really great mm-hmm. and fun way. Yeah. I think this is one I think sometimes uh, those of you that are maybe a little more resistant to leading change are way better at this part of it. Yeah. Um, You just are. Um, And those of us like Jason and I that can't wait to change things almost to a fault, um, we forget about this part. We forget to slow down and feel good about what has happened and feel good together about what has happened and to acknowledge it and then go, look what we did. I can't wait to see what God is going to do next. We move on to the what God is going to do next thing before we stop (laughs) and celebrate. So, Like we literally can't wait to see. Like we can't wait. Yeah, yeah, let's go. So celebrate with a party. I think that is great advice. It's good wisdom for for all of us to stop. And I think it's a way of saying stop and give thanks to God and to feel good as a community about what God is doing, to to see it and notice it and uh, to celebrate it. And um, that does build life. And it builds momentum for the next thing that you're going to try. Yeah. And a willingness for people to go, I wonder what the party's going to be like next time. You know, um, yeah. so yeah, don't forget to, to, to stop and celebrate. As leaders, we get way out in front and we've, we got to come back and, and enjoy the moment. All right, everyone. Well, I hope this is helpful for you wherever you're at, however you're trying to lead change in your church. Uh, it is tough. <laughs> it's tough. And I know it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of emotional bandwidth. It takes a lot of things. So I hope whatever's going on in your life and ministry that you are taking the time that you need to be the best version of you, uh, time in prayer, getting sleep, eating right, and uh, hopefully listening to podcasts, getting training, getting mentors, getting people in your life. They're going to speak words of encouragement and equipping and hope that we can be a voice uh, for you in that as well. So Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. Ministry is hard. It's so much better when we do it together.